Severely disciplined, Jonah goes to the Ninevites and discharges his duty with fire and conviction. He tells the people that Nineveh will be destroyed in 40 days. Astonishingly, these wicked Ninevites are not opposed to Jonah's message and his call to repent. Quite the opposite, they listen. They are convicted by his sermon. They put on sackcloth, they pray, they fast. Not even the animals are allowed to eat or drink anything. The people repent. The king and noblemen of Nineveh repent. God is moved by the repentance of the people, and God changes his mind. And here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Some, of, some estimate that it's maybe the size of Winnipeg, um, uh, numbers-wise. I mean, Winnipeg is much larger than that, obviously, but uh, in, in terms of geography. But numerically, we're looking about the same size. And on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, put on burlap to show their sorrow. Everybody knows what burlap is? That's this, it's sack material that they put potatoes in, etc. So you, you know what that is. Very scratchy, uncomfortable material. I mean, I don't even like wearing wool because it's too scratchy and itchy, but we're talking about burlap, which is far worse. And this is a sign that these people are serious. They mean business. And uh, in verse 6, is that when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Look at this. The king and the leaders of the country, of the city now, are, are actually joining in and helping Jonah with his gospel preaching. It just blows you away. And they say, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Today we're discovering the power of obedience in the life of the believer. What happens when God's people fulfill God's purpose here on earth? The short answer is repentance and obedience to God. That's the short answer. But we're going to unpack this a little bit more in just a moment. But let me remind you that God is 100% resolved to give Nineveh a second chance before judgment comes. God's determined that Nineveh should hear the gospel of repentance. Because, as Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the God that we serve. Now, 
some people have this notion or this wrong idea that God is some kind of a nasty, mean old God with a big stick ready to club us every time we make a mistake or get it wrong. Well, please understand this about God. God, God loves this world. He created this world. He created you and me. He created everybody, and God wants everyone to be redeemed. God wants everyone to be recipients of his mercy. And that's where you and I come in. God has called us to partner with him in bringing this gospel of mercy to a broken and hurting world. I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. There is no plan B. There's only plan A. And plan A is that you and I get busy and bring the gospel of God's love to a broken, hurting world. Now, the first thing that, that you and I need to do in order to advance God's agenda on the earth, in order to bring his mercy to a broken and hurting world, is that you and I need to learn what it means to obey him. Can I remind you that the very essence of being a Christian, the very essence of the definition of Christian, is that you and I do God's will. That's what it means. If, you wanna, if somebody asks you, what is a Christian? Then your answer is simply this, do the will of God every time. That's what it is in, in a nutshell. But here's, here's Jonah, this rebellious Jonah. And you would think, wouldn't you, that after, after the struggle that he has with God and the struggle to do God's will, that God would just say, okay, that's it, Jonah. I'm done working with you. You're a loser prophet. Uh, i got to find somebody else. i gotta, I got a super prophet, a super apostle to get the job done. But no, God decides he's going to use a rebellious prophet to preach to a rebellious nation. Interesting. So here's Jonah. He finally arrives at the Assyrian Empire, the capital city called Nineveh, which is so huge it takes three days to get from one end to the other. Some scholars believe that Jonah, after having been in the belly of the fish, would have been bleached white from the, the chemicals in the stomach of the fish. We don't know. But we do know this, is that when he arrived in Nineveh, people listened to him. So let's go back to Nineveh right now. Imagine yourself going back some uh, 25, 2600 years. We're in the Assyrian Empire, in the dusty city of Nineveh. It's a beautiful city. And Jonah thinks to himself, man, I have got to get this message to over 600,000 people. How are we going to do this? So he, Jonah just goes to the town preaching the gospel. And so the question is, what was he preaching? What was he saying? So, well, we, we know, uh, we got, a, we got a, a, a bit of a, an idea of what he preached. He says, uh, it says that he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. I think there's probably be a bit, bit more to the gospel message than that. God has sent me to warn you of the coming judgment in 40 days. God's judgment's going to fall. Now, can I remind everybody that this is, this is not an uncommon message. This message has been heard before. In fact, the first time we hear this message is in Genesis chapter 6, where God speaks through Noah to the people of his time. And the difference between Noah and Jonah is that nobody listened to Noah and, of course, you know the story, the world experiences a flood. By the way, can I just say this to you? If you've done any, any courses in anthropology uh, or any personal study on this subject, you'll find that a theme common to every culture is this great theme of a flood, a flood that destroys the world. And, and this is interesting because it's just been in recent times that, that 
one nation can communicate with another nation and, and share their stories. But, but we see, anthropologists see through all these different cultures that this is a common theme. So I don't, we're not here to talk about Noah today, but I wanted to point that out to you. Um, God also uh, sends prophets to speak to Sodom and Gomorrah and tell them that if they don't change, that they will be destroyed as well. The only difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh is that Sodom and Gomorrah refused to listen. Nineveh did listen, as we'll see in, uh, in a moment. And so Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. So there's Jonah saying, look, I didn't even want to come to talk to you people. I didn't even want to even tell you about this. Frankly, I wanted to go in another direction. Uh, in fact, I did go in another direction. And as I was fleeing Nineveh, going to another place, I was thrown overboard and I was swallowed by a fish. Now, just stop for a moment, because you're going to see in a moment that this little tidbit, this little factoid, this, this little thing that Jonah shares, I was swallowed by a fish, this is a game changer for the Ninevites. You'll see that in a moment. After he preaches, to his surprise, everyone, from the greatest to the least, they repent. They put on sackcloth. They refuse to eat. They refuse to drink. They cry out to God and ask for mercy. Jonah is absolutely shocked. He can't believe his eyes. There's a revival that's broken out in Nineveh. Jonah was hoping that he would go there and preach the gospel of destruction, and then he would be able to sit back and watch it happen. I mean, he brought marshmallows. He was ready for the event. He's going to watch these people be roasted by God. Turn or burn. And he expected for sure they'd burn. But it didn't happen. They responded to God's merciful declaration through this prophet. Now, have you ever wondered why why a fish? I mean, <laughs> for some of you, not from a Christian background, you didn't grow up hearing the Bible stories and it's all kind of new to you and you think to yourself, man, it, the Bible seems like it's full of, of myths, right? And you, you think, God, why would you make it more difficult for people to believe? I mean, by including this story, this just seems a little, just, this is like a little too far. I mean, we got past Genesis 6 and the flood. That was hard enough to swallow. But now you're telling us that there is a, a, a fish-eating man? Yeah. Well, here's what you need to understand. The God of the Ninevites was a God called Dagon. Can we put that up? Dagon was half man and half fish. The word Dagon is derived from the word dag, which means fish. And these people had a deep affection, a deep love for their god, Dagon. Dagon represented fertility and the powers of nature and reproduction. Some of you who know your Bible know the story of how the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. And when the Philistines put the Ark of God in their temple, lo and behold, their God, the God Dagon, fell prostrate before the presence of God, face down. And these Philistines, shocked that their God was bowing down to the God of Israel, this is something beyond anything that they had ever seen or, or could have imagined. They figured for sure that they were more powerful than Israel, and therefore their God was more powerful than the God of Israel. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. God has got a very special 
message and a very special way of getting the Ninevites' attention. By the way, the Babylonians were another group of people that worshipped the god Dagon. The Babylonians believed that uh, a god-man, uh, 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 part fish, part man, emerged from the Erythrean Sea and, and coming to, onto dry land. They figured he must be someone worth, worthy of their worship. And so they adopted Dagon as their deity, as the Ninevites did. What's happening here? Jonah represents more than just a message from God. Jonah is somebody who was delivered by his God from the clutches of their God. Jonah got the attention of the Ninevites by declaring his story of how his God overruled their God. Let God speak to your heart right now because here's what you and I need to understand. We need to understand what the Ninevites discovered. We need to understand that God is great, great indeed. And that God has called us to obey him, to do his will. And it starts in the Garden of Eden. God, God desires, God commands, demands that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the next time that God permits something difficult in your life, stop and consider for a moment. Is God trying to get your attention? Stop and consider. You are, in fact, a servant of Almighty God. You've been called by God to do His will. And sometimes it's terribly uncomfortable. I have been amazed at the number of people who have come to me and said, Pastor Allen, what you're saying is exactly what I've been through. I've been like Jonah in the belly of a fish. In fact, I had somebody come up to me after the service this morning. Several people, actually. And one said, I, I, uh, I got caught drinking under the influence. God got my attention. And then he proceeded to tell me how God has used this to do a miracle in his life, which I'm not going to share right now because it's personal. But I want you to know this, that as children of God, as, as people who call themselves Christians, as people who call themselves the people of God, what you need to understand is that God wants to use you, and God even wants to use your struggle for his purposes and for his glory and honor. Has God been telling you something lately? God been asking you to do something lately for his glory and for his honor, for his purposes? And maybe you've been saying no to God, no to God, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Can I just remind you of something? And those of you who are not Christians, like just let, you can just sit and listen to this and just observe. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have declared that I am a believer in Jesus Christ, I am a Christian, here's what you need to know. God is not going to let you off the hook in doing that thing that he's called you to do. God speaks to us, if, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, he speaks to us and he tells us his will, he tells us what he wants. And he's not gonna let you off the hook. He's gonna keep pressing you and pushing you and squeezing you until you get to the place where you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. 
Is that what God's doing in your life right now? You're going through a difficult time. In fact, the thing that you're struggling with is on your mind day and night. It's, it's a topic of conversation. It's something that, that you just keep going through. It's, a, it's, the, it's the push play and then rewind and push play again and rewind. And you know that God must be trying to get your attention. God must be speaking to you. That's kind of where Jonah was. And after three days in the belly of the fish, after he was vomited onto shore, he's prepared to say, yes, God. And so God says to him a second time, Jonah, go. And this time, Jonah says, yes, Lord. Can I ask you, how many times do you have to be swallowed by a fish until you'll say, yes, Lord? Oh, you know, it won't be a literal fish in your case. Well, maybe it will. If I were you, if you're not doing God's will, stay away from the water. I would just, just recommend that. But I'm telling you, God's not going to let you off the hook. He's going to keep pushing you, keep pressuring you until you respond to him. Why? Because he loves you and because you were created to do his will. We read that in our membership class this past Wednesday. In fact, you heard it in the message a few weeks ago. The Bible declares that you are a masterpiece created to do the work of God. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before you were even born, God had special work for you to do. The question is this, will you do it? So the wonderful news is that the people of Nineveh respond to Jonah's ministry. They respond to his preaching. They are especially touched by his amazing experience with the fish. They recognize that the God of Jonah is greater than Dagon, their God, the, the fish God. And so because of their willingness to repent and ask God to forgive them, Here's what the Bible says happens. In Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. You know, in this sophisticated era of education and tolerance, Christians don't really want to talk about God's judgment. And they don't want to talk about the consequences of sin. Because quite frankly... We are afraid of driving people away by turning them off such talk. We're, we're afraid that people will listen to us and think, man, did they really believe this stuff? I mean, this guy's educated. He's got a degree. He's got a couple degrees. He's a doctor. I can't believe they really thinks that. Can I just remind you that there's nothing new under the sun? Christians have been preaching the gospel for 2,000 years, and there have been cultures, uh, the Romans, the Greeks. I mean, Paul talks about how the Greeks laughed at his message. There's no way that they were going to receive or believe anything that Paul had to say, but there's some that did. Look at You and I are not called to be sophisticated. We are called to obey God, and we're called to be a people who proclaim his gospel message. One of the things that really troubles me in the year 2016 is the total misunderstanding of what, what it means to be a Christian and what the Christian message is. I was reading an article, um, US Weekly, and uh, they reported on an interview with Nick Jonas of the Jonas Brothers. Now, for, for you old people, you don't really know who this is, but let me just bring you up to speed. The Jonas Brothers, a, a, a very popular boy band, they've recently broken up. 
But the significant thing about these Jonas brothers is that they grew up in a Christian family. Their father was a pastor. They went to a Pentecostal church in the States. In fact, they were, they were members of an Assemblies of God church, which is a, a, a sister, the sister organization to the PAOC in the USA. And this is what they report. They say, oh, how times have changed. Nick Jonas stopped by HuffPost Live on Tuesday, September 16, to discuss his upcoming DirecTV series called Kingdom. And by the way, when we talk about kingdom here, we're not talking about the kingdom of God, so please uh, stay away from it. But they say, they talk, he's talking about this series Kingdom, and, he, and they go on to say, and those nude scenes, um, not to mention the gay love scenes. But on a more personal level, the former Jonas Brothers turned model revealed he no longer wears his purity ring. The purity ring was a, was a craze, it was a fad, it went through youth groups. Well-meaning youth pastors tried to get all the young people to wear a purity ring that said that when they put that ring on, they made a vow to God that they would never have sex until they got married. Well, he took the ring off, and he says... And guess why? And then he goes on to say this. And by the way, can I just say this? I don't, we don't, we, our youth group does not do that. And I don't recommend that. I don't believe that a young person at age 11 or 12 should be making those kinds of vows. I believe that the person has a day-by-day, moment-by-moment walk with God. But that's another story. But here's what's troubling. This young man who is posing nude and enacting gay love scenes, he goes on to say this. He says, my belief in God is still very strong and important to me as a person, and I think that's all that should matter. He says, I grew up in a church environment and still have love for the church, and what's important now is my relationship with God and that I not judge and that I not be judged. Well, I'm going to tell you, folks, that all sounds, uh, you know, uh, very noble, uh, but i got to tell you that it's, it's absolute nonsense. And I say that with humility and not anger. You cannot declare that you have a relationship with God, and you cannot declare that, that you love him and you love his church and you want to please him and that, that you should not judge and not be judged. Because the Bible is clear what he expects of us. And I've got to tell you, I'd love to be one of those preachers that gets to stand up on Sunday and just tell you the sweet and nice things about the gospel and not tell you the difficult things about the gospel. But what you and I need to understand is that before we can talk about forgiveness, before we can talk about life, before we can talk about the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, we have got to talk first about the wages of sin. And this is what we read in Romans 6.23. And the Apostle Paul, before he ever talks about salvation, before he ever talks about the new life, the abundant life, the eternal life that comes through Christ, first of all, he's got to talk about the wages of sin. And the wages of sin is death. So in 2016, we, well, we rarely hear preachers speak about God's judgment 
And we hurry over passages that talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins because, again, it doesn't sound very sophisticated and we're afraid of offending people. The fact of the matter is is that this is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus took upon himself the penalty of sin that you and I deserve. I remember when we met with the people that were creating our logo, and he says, I want to know as much about your church as possible so I know how to create this logo. So I said, okay, fair enough. How about I just, I just type something up and tell you all about us? So in the little write-up I did, I talked about how we are a church that preaches the gospel, which includes a story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins to take upon himself the penalty that we deserve, that Jesus shed his blood, and, uh, and that we are set free because of that. And so we met together to talk further. He said to me, he said, well, first I'll have to tell you that what you wrote, very disturbing. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, thought, you, I thought you were from a church background. He goes, I am. I said, really? And he told me the church he's from, which I'm not going to tell you, unless you pay me. I won't. He says, I find that very disturbing. In fact, I find it I, I, I find it repulsive, actually. Yeah, you see, that's the thing, eh? The gospel message is very difficult. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a price that's got to be paid for your sin. We think of God as, as a loving God. We speak of the, the mercy of God, the grace of God, his unconditional love. But what you need to understand is that God is not just a loving God, a loving Father. He's also a just judge. How many of us today would be horrified if those who are committing crimes on a regular basis, on a regular basis did not have to go before a judge and could be set free? In fact, it's kind of happening right now, isn't it, in some ways? We don't like it. We only like hearing about judges doing their job as long as it doesn't concern us. But God is a just judge and he deals with sin. Here's where his love comes in. Jesus says, rather than you suffering for your sin, rather than you dying for your sin, Jesus says, I'm going to do it for you. That's the gospel message. It's a a message of God's mercy and God's love. But make no mistake about it. The wages of sin is still death. There is punishment. There is consequences. There is judgment. You cannot create Christianity in your own image or according to your own understanding. You're not the one that gets to call the shots or determine what it is that God will do or will not do. What you need to do is you need to hear what God has got to say about it. And the wonderful thing about the Ninevites is they heard Jonah's message and they believed it. And God, in his mercy and his love, forgave him. Can I just say this to you today? That is the gospel. If anyone would confess their sin to God, The Bible tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we love to focus on the promises of Jesus. In fact, you watch TV preachers. They all have got the same sort of message. It's very rosy. It's very warm and fuzzy. And you go away feeling good. But they don't talk about 
is the consequences of sin. And so consequently, what you're hearing so often is half a gospel message. I'm going to tell you where real happiness comes from. I'm going to tell you where real relief comes from. It comes from doing what the Ninevites did. By coming before God and repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I recognize, God, I've been going in the wrong direction. I need to start going in your direction. Why did Nineveh respond to Jonah? Well, it wasn't just because he was delivered from a fish. There's something more profound than that. It's because these Ninevites, like you and I, these Ninevites were created with a conscience. And even as Jonah is preaching to them and telling them that they are wicked, that they are sinful, they knew that what Jonah was saying was right because their own conscience condemned them. Their own conscience told them, this man is preaching the truth. Do you know, we live in a day and an age where we, we are constantly trying to medicate against that guilty conscience. We will do whatever it takes to, to push it down, to avoid it, to not go there. The gospel message comes to a person who's self-condemned, their conscience condemns them. The gospel message comes along and says there is relief. You don't have to hang on to that guilt any longer. You can be free of that. And for those who are ready to respond, those who are ready to respond to that gospel message, they'll say, well, praise God, thank God, Jonah, you've come along. Thank God you have come along and shared that good news with me. Nineveh was ready. It's interesting. Even the king and the leaders, they send out a directive to everybody in the land. We've got to turn from our evil ways. They understood that. I wonder this morning who God wants you to speak to. There's people in your life right now that are waiting for you to speak, waiting for you to tell them the gospel, the good news, that Jesus loves them and that Jesus wants to set them free, that Jesus doesn't want them to be judged or condemned, that God wants them to have life, new life, eternal life. At the end of the day, that is what a Christian does, and that's what Christians are. We're people who bring good news of God's love. Is it sophisticated? Not by our world standards, but by eternal standards, it's the greatest message that's ever been told. There is relief for your guilt. There is relief from your sin. You can be free. You can be free, free when you put your faith in Jesus. Folks, the greatest gift that God ever gave us is Jesus. And it's for this reason when, when Peter stands up to preach the very first sermon ever preached in the church, here's what Peter says, Acts 2.21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the message that we share with a broken and hurting world. This is the message that we share with people who are self-medicating, with people who are racked with guilt, 
with people who know their lives are lacking something. This is the message that brings relief and brings hope. Would you pray with me, please? Let's stand. Father, thank you this morning for the message of repentance, a message that we just frankly don't hear anymore because we've become so educated and so sophisticated. And yet, Lord, this is an ancient, ancient message that's been preached for thousands of years. God, you're calling us to repent, to turn from our evil ways, to follow you, to obey you, to do your will. For everyone here today who calls himself or herself a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we can't just do whatever we want and, and, and still profess to be Christians. The very definition of a follower of Christ is that we obey him and do his will. And so thank you today, O oh God, that we have this great message of hope for a broken and hurting world. We have this message that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that God loves this world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. That's our message, O oh God. We pray that you give us the grace to share it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, share the gospel message. <laughs>